Is anybody else out there tired? Are y'all tired? This has been like a whirlwind summer for my family personally. Um, even going back to the spring. Well, and the more I think about it, it just kind of has been a whirlwind for like 10 years in all actuality. But for whatever reason, the last several months have been just like extra amped with stuff and um, both unforeseen and even unpleasant at times, but also uh, some things that just came out of nowhere that were full of blessing. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we actually sold the home that we have lived in for mm, since 2016. And um, it was just taking advantage of the uh, ridiculous uh, seller's market in the real estate world. Um, and we have rented a home right near Landon, my, my son's school. He's got one more year of high school and we didn't want to pull him out in his senior year. So we were renting a home right down the road from his school and then we're going to figure out what comes next. But, um, the, the process of listing a house and then showing a house and then selling a house and the closing, then finding a rental and, uh, Comforting my dear wife, whose favorite part of our old house was our pool. And of course, the new house has no pool. And so just, um, you know, ministering and anointing her with the oil of gladness because that was her favorite part of our old house. But she was on board. She she actually is the one that really felt like we needed to move. And so, but it's been a whirlwind, man. It's been crazy. And then, um, you know, gearing up towards the opening of a new school year at Caneo Ministry Training Center. Uh, where I help lead on that team there as we approach orientation in the beginning of August or middle of August, actually. And, um, and then the new school year starts and I'll be teaching fourth year students every Thursday night and then doing the podcast and then doing the truth shots and transforming truth stuff. And oh, by the way, pastoring a church is my primary calling in the middle of all of it. So um, pardon me if I sound a little breathless. I got tired just thinking about that, but I know some of you are in the same season. You're just doing and doing and going and going. And one of the challenges for all of us as, uh, you know, zealous believers for Jesus, you know, the concept of being a maverick and a misfit, um, is that, you know, we, it's not that we just chill out because we're aloof to the, you know, the more intense aspects of being a Christian. We're not aloof to it at all. We're very intentional about honoring the Lord with all of our lives and also serving him. If you're not serving the Lord, you're not the Christian that you think you are because servanthood, you know, the pendulum swung several years ago where everybody's like, nah, I don't want to be a Martha. I want to be a Mary. I want to be, I want to sit at the feet of Jesus and I, I don't want to be scurrying around. Well, it's never meant to be an either or it's never meant to be the dy dynamic of you either worship or you serve. Um, I don't know anybody that teaches the Martha Mary component that actually believes that Martha was like representing something horrible. She was doing the right thing in the wrong spirit. And so it's not that we don't serve. It's that actually we do serve. I mean, in the Martha Mary paradigm, somebody's got to make a sandwich, <laughs> you know, so there are things to be done in the kingdom. So we serve, but we don't, we don't draw our identity and we don't get mad at other people when they're not serving as much as us. And so like, I want to be the Mary at the feet of Jesus. I want to be the Martha that is serving Jesus. And so sometimes that leads to a, um, a fatigue. And you got to be wise about what's going on in your heart, your mind, your body. Take care of your own soul and make sure that you are staying refreshed. It's actually nobody's job to refresh you in the spirit. Nobody's job. Like the Lord has assigned each person the stewardship over his or her own soul. And um, you've got to be aware of what's going on inside of you uh, because everything outside of you will put a draw on, on your soul. And you got to take care of yourself. And um, last couple of podcasts I've done, 
well, last last week, if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, go back and listen to that thing. I, I share a little bit of my own testimony as a former uh, independent fundamental Baptist who was sovereignly ambushed by God and uh, with the Holy Spirit, and it radically changed the whole trajectory of my life and ministry. I encourage you, if you if you never heard me tell that story, go back and listen to last week's episode. But even going back further in um, the archives of, of, of Mavericks and Misfits, I've been talking a lot about identity and activity lately. And um, recently, I've been really wondering, I've been asking myself, you know, where have the prophets gone? And... Um, for you guys that are in a different kind of denominational representation of Jesus, um, you know, you can think a lot of different things about what is a prophet. When I, when I speak of prophets, I sometimes do it with umbrella terminology. In other words, when I speak of prophets, they may not hold the office of prophet in the church, but they might be highly prophetic or it might be their temperament or their hardwiring from God is that of a a prophet, somebody that's not afraid to tell the truth and make people uncomfortable. And so, you know, just be careful what you hear when I use the word prophet, um, because everybody's coming from a different paradigm. But when I'm talking today, um, I want to talk to you about my concern that prophets, prophetic people, people that hear the Lord, and he has raised them up in this generation to speak on behalf of the Lord, in ways that are not necessarily culturally acceptable. Um, prophets say the hard things. You go back and read your Old Testament, and the prophets were typically not the kind of people you wanted to sit down and have a cup of coffee with and make small talk. Prophets um, were consumed by being with the Lord, receiving an assigned message from the Lord, and then delivering that message in the same spirit from uh, which they received it. So in other words, sometimes the prophet would come and do um, like wide scale um, prophetic revelation, would give the thus saith the Lord, this is what's coming. And other times the prophet would be individualized and he would be assigned to go bring um, a direct message to an individual that God had appointed. Other times, prophets were the voice of God to a nation, um, particularly Israel in the Old Testament, sometimes to pagan nations in the case of like Jonah um, in Nineveh. But um, the prophets, the one thing that I see about prophets in the Old Testament is that when they had been with the Lord and heard from the Lord, they obeyed. They stepped out of the secret place where they got the message and they went, went and released it. But there's this little obscure passage in 1 Kings 18. It's actually from the life of Elijah, the prophet, but Elijah's not actually the guy I want to focus on. It's a snapshot, and it's in the context of many prophets and what was going on in that day. And as I was reading in 1 Kings 18, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, um, this little, little phrase jumped out at me, and so I just let it germinate in my spirit for the better part of two weeks and I felt like on the way in today to come to work and I knew I'd be recording a podcast I felt Holy Spirit saying you need to share that word and so let me read you two verses okay I'm in first Kings 18 again the context is the prophet Elijah is being hunted by Ahab and Jezebel Ahab was the king of Israel a very wicked man but only second in line according to Wickmas first in line was his wife Jezebel, And I do hope to do a whole podcast on the spirit of Jezebel uh, in upcoming weeks. I don't 
have permission to do that right now, but man, that thing's percolating in me because I've just gone in recent months uh, toe-to-toe with the spirit of Jezebel. But today, I, I just want to ask and, and talk about the prophets in hiding. And so I'm asking the question, where, where are the prophets? And my concern is all the prophets are, um, if you want a prophet, you got to go to a prophetic conference because they're all in the room together. <laughs> and they're all talking about prophecy. They're all prophesying to each other. <laughs> and, and they're just hanging out. And you'll see what I mean when I read and apply this verse. So I'm actually going to put on my prophet's mantle today. And I'm going to challenge uh, the church. I'm going to challenge you. Even if you're not a prophet, I'm going to challenge you to think about what I'm saying and ask yourself, is Jeff seeing something in the church that we really need to address that is actually operating beneath the level that God has intended? And what would happen if we remedied this uh, problem with prophetic people in the church, especially I'm thinking in the United States of America. So let me read you 1 Kings 18. Elijah is on the run from Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel are wanting to kill him. Ahab's scouring the land looking for Elijah. And Elijah's out in the wilderness and he finds this prophet named Obadiah. And Obadiah is connected to King Ahab. But Obadiah, is a, he's, a, he's a man of God, but he's afraid. And so he's compromised. And what you're going to find out is he is a compromised prophetic leader of prophets. And Elijah is the standout dude in this passage because he's the only one doing what a prophet should have been doing in the days of Ahab, which was confronting Ahab and Jezebel and saying to them, repent or your time is going to be cut short. And that's what Elijah had done. And that's why he was in trouble. He was like literally had a bounty on his head. So he has been continuing to try to minister, but also processing his own fear, his own depression, his own sense of injustice because he's being persecuted for doing the right thing. Well, by this point, you know, he's he's back walking with the Lord uh, for the most part, and he encounters this guy, Obadiah, and he tells Obadiah, go back to Ahab and tell him to come see me right here. Right where you're encountering me, Obadiah, you go tell Ahab, that wicked king, that he can come and speak to me face to face right here. And Obadiah is freaking out a little bit. He's like, no, I'm going to go tell him that. And then when I bring him back to this place, you're going to be gone. And Obadiah says, and Ahab's going to be furious with me and he's going to kill me because you're going to do a disappearing act. And um, Elijah's like, calm down, fella. Um, I'm telling you, go tell Ahab to come here. I'll be here. So let me read you these two verses in first Kings 18, verse 13 and 14. So first Kings 18 verses 13 and 14, just listen, they're short. Um, Obadiah is trying to tell, uh, Elijah, Hey, I'm a good guy. And this is what he says. Obadiah says, has it not been told you what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave. And I fed them with bread and water. So Obadiah says, Hey Elijah, I'm one of the good guys. Don't you know that when Jezebel started killing all of the prophets of Yahweh, I used my influence and my resources and I hid a hundred of the prophets of God. I hid them in a cave and I took care of them. I gave them what they needed with bread and water. And then Elijah responds in verse 14, Go tell Ahab, behold, Elijah is here. 
and he, um, and excuse me, let me, let me backtrack. Obadiah is still protesting to Elijah. And he says, uh, he says, Elijah, you say, go tell Ahab, behold, Elijah is here and he's going to kill me. So in other words, you're telling me to go get Ahab, bring him back here. He's going to kill me when we come back and you're not here. And so Elijah says, as Yahweh lives, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to Ahab today. Okay. So here you have this, I call it a juxtaposition. It's two things that are kind of uh, facing each other from opposite stands. You've got Obadiah hiding prophets and you've got Elijah saying, give me a face-to-face meeting with encounter, uh, excuse me, with, with Ahab. Give me a face-to-face encounter with the wicked king. So again, let me just, I'm rambling a little bit here. Y'all let me get my words together. I should have had more coffee today. Um, Obadiah is telling Elijah, I don't want to go bring Ahab to you. I've worked real hard at keeping all the prophets in a safe, quiet place so Ahab doesn't cause trouble. And Elijah, you're telling me, go get Ahab and bring him to you. But if I do that, I know you. You're going to run off and then Ahab's going to kill me for bringing him here and you're not here. And Elijah says, you don't understand. I'm telling you as the prophet in Israel, Obadiah, go bring Ahab to me right here. I will be here face to face with him when you show back up. All right. So that was like five minutes of trying to set the stage. What do do we want to do with this? Let me tell you what the Lord began to speak to me a couple of weeks ago. We're living in a day of Ahab and Jezebel. It's, it's in the nation, but it's also in the church. And my primary focus is the church. I've always been focused on the church. And most of the time, even more particularly, local churches. And when we see the spirit of the age that is unbridled in the culture begin to impact the church, we know we are in trouble. And I can give you a long history of what that looks like just in the time that I've been saved in the 28 years I've been born again. I can give you a little glimpse of what that looks like, but that would take me about an hour. And so I'm just going to take it for granted that saved people know that America has turned its back on God, shaken a fist in the face of the Almighty, and we have become a nation of abject rebellion against the God of the Bible. Now, I think that's plain. I don't have to make that case. But here's what I'm trying to tell you today. The church is now so enculturated that the visible professing church is becoming more like the culture in its attitude towards the God of the Bible. That's why you see people that are pastors and Christians in name, you see presumed church leaders, spokesmen and women for God who are saying things that are antithetical to the Bible. They're, they're saying things, and most of it's in a political or a social context that are absolutely in opposition to what God reveals in his word. Most of these things are along the lines of morality Um, whether it comes to sexuality, biblical definition of marriage, the fact that God created the human order in a a male and a female um, expression and nothing in between and nothing beyond. 
Then you've got the issue of the sanctity of life of those that are not yet born and the idea that people who are um, naming the name of Jesus could somehow convince themselves that God is in favor of exterminating children in the womb. Like that, I mean, literally people, people that are sincere Christians that really think that in some way God is committed to preserving the right to exterminate life in the womb. They actually think that God would sign off on that. No matter what his word says, his word is very clear that he hates that. And yet you've got Christians that believe that the God that they've created and they give him the name, God, Jesus, the God of the Bible. And they say, no, he's fine with that. So that's how far the church has slipped. And let me tell you, when you get to a place like that in the history of, of the church, um, the only thing that that reverses that trend is a prophetic voice. Pastors can't do it. Love you guys. Love pastors. Thank God for them. You're meant to tend to the flock, to care for their needs, to keep them comfortable, to keep them safe, to help them feel valued, to help usher them into you know the expression of what God wants to do with their life. I validate the pastoral gifting. Pastoral gifting will not turn the tide of what's happening in the Church of America. Um, evangelistic ministry won't really turn the tide either because evangelists aren't focused primarily on the church. They're focused on the loss to bring them into the church. But I would say to my evangelistic friends, what church are we bringing them into? What representation or expression of Jesus Christ are we actually winning people into? Because if, if the church is no different from the world, then basically it would probably be better to win the lost and not bring them to any expression of the church. Just tell them, read your Bible and pray. But you don't want to get connected to most of the local churches because they're not a fit representation of Jesus. Now, I say that, you know, it's hyperbole. I'm not, I'm not actually advocating don't go to church. But what I'm saying is if the church is corrupt, it would be better for a person not to go to that church. And then, you know, teaching is important. I do believe we can teach the truth and God can obviously use his word and the teaching of it to awaken people um, to, uh, you know, who he is, what he's saying and how to see the world around us in a biblical context. So teaching is important. Teaching, evangelism, pastor, that's all important. But what we really need right now is apostolic leadership, uh, apostles that are moving into new territories, apostles that are coming with the power of God. And they're coming with the authority that they've been assigned in the kingdom and they know how to use it. But they must be accompanied by a prophetic voice. And when I'm talking prophecy in this sense, I'm not talking so much about foretelling what's coming because that's outlined in scripture. But I'm talking about a prophetic alarm. I'm talking about the voice of prophetic people that God has equipped, ordained, and even giving you the temperament to speak up and stand boldly against the trending of the church that is trending away from God, away from truth, away from morality, away from righteousness, away from justice, away, away, away. And the only thing that is going to staunch that flow is a prophetic voice. But let me tell you why you say, Jeff, what does this have to do with 1 Kings, you know, 18, 13, and 14? Well, when Obadiah was alive and Elijah was alive, they're alive in the same generation. They're both prophets. And one prophet is hiding. He's not only hiding, he's hiding other prophets. And Elijah, that's Obadiah, but Elijah is saying, bring me face to face with this man who's doing the devil's work. And I'm asking myself in this generation, is the prophetic ministry in the church more like Elijah or more like Obadiah? And I'm concerned that it's more like Obadiah. 
It's not that prophets aren't speaking. It's that prophets are speaking to each other and not to the problem. Um, most of the prophetic ministry that I'm saying is, it's kind of insular. It means that, well, I mean, even the illustration of Obadiah saying, I've taken a hundred prophets of the Lord and we're hiding in a cave and I'm making sure they have food and water. And I'm thinking to myself, that, that just represents a certain portion of prophetic ministry in the United States of America right now. We're not hiding in caves, we're hiding in conferences. We're, we're hiding in, um, you know, social media streams. We're hiding in books. We're, we're hiding in, you know, one-off prophetic words or tweets or, you know, TikTok videos or Instagram stories or, you know, Facebook, you know, um, host meetings and stuff. And um, we're calling it prophetic ministry. And I'm not really sure that that is. Um, there's a lot of prophetic teaching. I don't want to ignore that. There's a lot of good prophetic teaching. I like teaching that has a prophetic flavor or touch on it. In other words, they're not just parsing out the verses, but they're speaking with both the Logos and the Rhema. They're giving us the written word and the whispered word of God. And that's good. I, I want to encourage everybody to keep doing that. But prophets talking to prophets is not the aim of prophetic ministry as we see it in scripture. Prophets are the voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. Prophets are speaking to uh, places where there is a need for reformation. There's a need for revival. There's a need for repentance. There's a need for the prophetic voice to come with power and to be able to expose and to come with power and be able to warn and to come with power and be able to summon, summon the hearts of a generation to return to God. And we can't do that if we're hiding out in our conference caves. And I listen, I go to conferences when they make sense to go to. I thank God for people that speak at conferences. But I guarantee you the prophets that I admire that are on the national landscape, and I'm not one of them. I'm not a prophetic voice that speaks in the nation. I'm like a dude in, a, in an office talking on a microphone trying to stir up the hearts of people to say, we've got to see what needs to be changed in America. And so when I am talking about these national prophets, I don't think a single one of them would say that their goal is to get people to come to a conference cave and listen to what they say. Their goal is to motivate. Their goal is to awaken. Their goal is to send forth. Their goal is to impart fire. Their goal is to say, you need to take what I'm saying at the macro level and you need to start speaking it on the micro level wherever you are. Because a prophetic voice is to the people, it's to the nations, it's to the church, it's to the religious institutions, it's to the government, it's to the social structure. Prophets are assigned audiences by God's sovereign dispatch, and they are to go wherever God signs them. And so the, the audience may look different from prophet to prophet, but I can tell you this, prophets aren't supposed to be just sitting around in a cave drinking water and eating bread while they stay safe when there are Ahabs and Jezebels running the land. You hear me on that? Like Ahab and Jezebel were the problem and all the prophets were being hidden by Obadiah and Obadiah saying, I'm doing a really good work, Elijah. I need you to validate me. Haven't you heard that I'm the guy who, who's hidden the prophets from murderous Jezebel? Well, let me just go ahead and tell you this. Most prophets are, don't value safety. It's, it's, it's contrary to their calling. It's antithetical to the nature God has given them. 
Most prophets are a mess if they're sitting around in a safe zone with nobody to warn, nobody to confront, nobody to rebuke, nothing to expose, nothing to proclaim. That's uh, the nature of a prophet is they're not supposed to be hidden. Hidden prophets are an oxymoron in the kingdom. And Obadiah is like literally saying, hey, these are dangerous times, Elijah. Don't you understand? I'm doing Obadiah became a pastor and he's a prophet. And Obadiah was like pastoring prophets to their own demise. Like God didn't want those hundred prophets in a cave. (laughs) They signed up to burn, to speak, and to die. And Obadiah has been, for whatever reason, he's been migrated from his office of a prophet. And he's now moving into the role of a pastor for which he is not suited. And he's actually doing work that doesn't make sense according to the call of God. Now, why is that important? Because the extreme pressure and expectation in the modern American church is that everybody's supposed to be pastoral. Like everybody's supposed to keep everybody safe because we live in a, we live in a generation that longs for a cushioned cross. Yes, I'd like to carry my cross today. I I prefer, if you can, wrap it in velvet and then top it off with some satin. I'd like some bejeweling of it. If you can make it look nice. And listen, where it lays on my shoulder, please make sure there's extra padding there because I want my cross to be comfortable. And we've got a whole host of uh, people with a mindset that will not value the prophetic voice because the prophetic voice is is sometimes abrasive and everybody's supposed to be sweet the reason why the church is in the state that it's in is because for the better part of about four or five decades most of the people have been sweet syrupy sweet And we have a whole generation, not just, I'm not just talking about like my generation, Gen X or the millennials or Gen Z or the boomers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, we have all of us living together in one generation and it's been going on literally, I would say about 40 years to where the expectation of, of leadership in churches is that you must make me feel good about me. And if you're not making me feel good about me, then you're a bad leader. And you know, the thing I love about prophets is they'll look somebody in the eye like that and say, you're a melting snowflake who's self-consumed and you need to get over yourself because Ahab and Jezebel are going to kill everybody. (laughs) And, and we, we just not recognize that nobody, nobody, and I won't say nobody, but the vast majority of people in the professing church in America are blind to Ahab and Jezebel. And they're wondering, why don't my Obadiahs feed me a little more bread, give me a little bit more water, and maybe put some mood lighting in this cave that I'm in with them? And so Elijah looks at Obadiah and he's like, hey, bud, I'm not going to your cave. And I want you to go back and find Ahab. And I want you to tell that wicked, ungodly, demonized man that he can come down right here because I have the word of the Lord for him. And of course, that meeting would take place later. You can read in 1 Kings 18 and 19. And um, I'm saying right now, we need some Elijahs. Like we need some people who quit bowing to the pressure to be rounded edges, smooth surface. Not everything's supposed to be polished. Like we need some people with some gristle, with some grit, with some graininess to them. We need some prophetic people. And I'm not talking about being 
intentionally obnoxious. But what I am saying is that, man, we are being intentionally oversweetened to the point where there's rot in the mouth of the church. There's so much sweetness that has just ruined our voice, ruined the mouth of the church. And Obadiah's, I appreciate that, you know, we want to get all the prophets together. My question needs to be, and I'm going to challenge you. Where do all the prophetic people go after the conference? Like, look, let's, let's get together. I like those conferences. I'm not saying stop hosting those conferences. I'm saying host them with an intention of what happens after the conference ends. Where do the people go that are prophetically stirred? Don't go to the next conference cave. My, my, literally, my legitimate concern is we're going from conference cave to conference cave, from city to city, from platform to platform, and we're all hearing from the prophets, and we love the way they talk, and we love what they say, and they're saying all the stuff we wish we had a platform to say. And then we leave those conferences, and we go back to our jobs, and we go back to our neighborhoods, and we go back to our cities, and we go back to our schools, and we say, hmm, man, that was awesome, but we're, we're not being prophetic. We're not being the voice of God outside of that conference cave. So what do we do? Well, we scan, you know, we're, we're looking on social media. When's the next prophetic conference? <laughs> Where's the next cave Obadiah can lead me to? And God's saying, I'm, I'm actually trying to wake up some Elijah's. I'm actually looking for some men and women that will get up in the face of the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Ahab. What a, what a poisonous duo they were. And God's saying the only thing that topples them are the prophets. What's very interesting to me, by the way, is that one of Elijah's commissions when he was battling depression and God was trying to get Elijah out of depression, he gave him uh, three people to anoint. He said, go anoint Elisha, go anoint Hazael, which would be a, a, a different king. And he says, I want you to anoint Jehu. He's going to be the next king. Jehu had to be anointed by Elijah. Guess what Jehu did? You know what his fam- most famous did, deed was? He purged Jezebel. It was Jehu who cornered Jezebel and called for her to be thrown down out of the tower, and she finally died. So Elijah's anointing was passed to a king. It was given to a king, and that king is actually the one that tore down um, Jezebel. And so I'm thinking prophetic people, like we may not do all of the dirty work, but we carry an anointing and an authority and a word to be able to empower those who will leave the conferences and go out and tear down Jezebel. But we can't do that if we think the end of the game is just to hide in our conference caves and keep going from cave to cave. And so I hope you've been stirred on this, man. I mean, some of you are prophetic people. Let me just finish with this. Some of you are ordained by God. You're gifted by God. You're hardwired by God. You're commissioned by God. You're walking in holiness. If you're not walking in holiness, keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. Get your life right. Don't prophesy. Don't preach. Don't teach if you're living a compromised life. So get your life straight and then open your mouth. And then if you are walking in holiness, you know who you are, you've received your assignment, you're carrying a growing mantle, you are being blessed at these conferences, but eventually you've got to quit being a conference attendee. You've got to get out of the cave system and you've got to go and speak the word of the Lord. And not everybody's going to like you. Get over that. You know what muzzles the prophets? The need to be liked. Like what's coming is not going to offer the option for us to be likable prophets. 
It's just not going to work that way. Some of you are in your 20s and 30s, and the only thing keeping you from stepping more fully and satisfactorily into the call of God on your life is the fact that you want everybody to like you. And if you're a prophet, if you're going to be a voice speaking the word of God, the rhema word, the right now word of God to a generation that is defying him, and you're saying, I want to be that voice, but you can't bear the stigma of rejection. You can't bear the stigma of not being everybody's favorite. You can't be the stigma of being that lady or that guy that everybody's like, oh, wow, man, they've always got that word. Listen, there is no appetite for the things that God's going to be releasing. A carnal appetite will not welcome God's prophetic word, but a spiritual appetite will. And those to whom he will grant repentance will hear that word coming out of your mouth. They will be a remnant. They will not be the majority. They will be a remnant, but they will listen. They will believe. They will repent and you will set people free and you will not have their blood on your hands. But if we're walking around saying, yeah, I'm just going to figure out a way, man, how to say what God wants me to say, but it's going to sound nice. It's, it's going to sound really helpful and affirming. Forgive the tone in my voice. I'm kind of sounding like I'm mocking that. I'm, it's not that I'm mocking it. It's that I'm exposing it. Because few people are. And again, be careful. I'm not giving you a license to go out there and be an obnoxious jerk. But I promise you, if you speak the valid prophetic word of the Lord consistently, at some point they're going to say, that guy's a jerk. That lady's a jerk. And you're going to have to figure out if you can live with being misunderstood. And um, I'd rather live with being misunderstood and being faithful. I'd rather live that way than to live in a cave with a bunch of prophetic people and all we're doing is prophesying to each other. That, to me, is like disastrous. I don't want to do that with my life. So I hope I've made sense to you today. Um, Pray through it. Ask God what you're supposed to be doing. Ask God what you're supposed to be saying. And then listen, the clock is ticking, man. The clock is ticking. You don't have that much time left. And you got to decide, are you going to spend the rest of your days being faithful or trying to be popular? And at some point, you're going to have to pick between those two. And I speak a better word over you. You will be faithful. You'll be faithful to Jesus. You'll be a faithful voice crying out in the wilderness. You won't be afraid. You won't be an individual who's going to dilute his or her message from God in order to be loved, liked, validated, and appreciated. You're you're growing out of that. Most true prophets don't have a thousand people behind them saying, yay, prophet. But if you've got one above you instead of a thousand behind you, if you've got one above you saying, well done, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough for us? Hey, my time's gone today. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. Do me a favor, rate and review us. That's all I ask. It takes five minutes of your time. Rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen. Rate and review us. If you want to check out the archives, you should subscribe to Mavericks and Misfits. Get all of the archive uh, episodes. I think we're like at 115 episodes, something like that. And, uh, get them downloaded to your device, or you can always uh, listen live on your computer at maverickmisfit.com. Pick up a copy of my book, Figuring Out As I Go. You support the ministry when you do that. You can order Figuring Out As I Go off of Amazon or wherever you um, buy books, or you can get a copy of it at transformingtruth.org. 
on transformingtruth.org. That's where almost all of our resources are. It's our media ministry website. Mavericks and Misfits is the podcast of the broader Transforming Truth ministry. And you can also get the Transforming Truth app on your device, and that'll literally give you everything that we're putting out, including the podcast, if you download the Transforming Truth app. Um, as I close, I want to let you know, uh, in the month of July and maybe early August, we are uh, keeping Caneo Ministry Training Center's registration open. Do you realize that you can get an affordable Bible college degree at a school that ministers very similarly what you get on this podcast. It ministers the word of God and the spirit of God. It's equipping for ministry. We help you learn how to serve God in these last days in a prophetic and word-based environment. Uh, We are not apologetic about our commitment to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we also are not like going cuckoo with them and everything. There's actually guardrails for those green lights. And so if you're interested, go to Kineo, K-I-N-E-O, M-T-C, Kineo, M-T-C, Dot com. Check out register now. It's a link on the left side of the page and get registered. And uh, myself, Dr. Roberts Lairdon, who wrote God's Generals, that series of books, Dr. Karen Smith, myself. Um, there's so many different ways you can get your degree now. And we want to help you get it affordably. And also it'll have substance to it. It's, we're not playing around. It's, it's Bible college. It's not like a Sunday school class. It is Bible college. And so if you're ready to grow, earn that degree, get equipped for ministry, go to KaneoMTC.com. All right, my time's gone. Thanks for listening to Mavericks and Misfits. Prophets, get out of the cave. 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 Get out of the conference cycle. Keep going to a conference, but do something with what you're hearing there. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you were helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.